Hello everyone, welcome to the Project Esports podcast. My name is Dylan, aka Beal for Real. Today we're going to be talking about the Tyler 1 Championship Series, a few issues with the Dota 2 Pro scene, and Sato being banned from the Overwatch League. James is taking a break this week, but of course I'm joined by Andrew. Andrew, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Andrew Nimsgern. You can also find me on almost every social media platform or game platform at Nims41. That's with a Z. But yeah, I'm really kind of excited, and I'm glad to be back after taking a week off from for last week's podcast. So I'm excited to talk about some of the topics we got today. Yeah, last week was fun, but we definitely missed you for sure. So let's go ahead and just start talking about the Tyler 1 Championship Series. Um, did you get a chance to watch this at all? I watched a little bit. Uh, mostly I was just kind of watching some of the uh, playbacks of some of the kind of stuff he was doing. But... Um, like I just have written up the picture of him with the green screen with some of the casters and stuff like that. I didn't get to watch um, the finals or anything like that, but I was kind of aware of it watching it here and there. So I'm not super into league, but I actually was able to tune into some of this and watch it. And it was, and it's, it, it was so hype and it was really, really good to actually watch a grassroots tournament for once in league, because for the longest time league has been doing like the LCS and they haven't been having a lot of these, really small grassroots tournaments that have been this big no yeah i totally agree i mean this definitely kind of comes back to where i really started kind of falling in love with league this is kind of the scene that was where ride was kind of at with the nalcs of when i started watching and it kind of brought me back everyone was obsessed with it so many people were watching it i mean tyler's kind of got his own rap around the league community but so many people still came out to watch it and more or less see what he put on as a show I mean, I think more tournaments kind of like this would be really big for the league scene. So I was really happy to see it. And it was fun at the same time. Yeah, I know a lot of people watching, um, if they're older esports viewers, they definitely saw this and went, it's just like the good old days. Um, Because I know I was watching it. I was like, this is it. This is like the esports that I like remember from a couple of years ago. And for anyone um, who's newer to esports watching this, you probably watch it and went, this is crazy. Like, I can't believe there's a tournament like this. And the vibe from it, it's insane. It, like, just to put this in perspective, all esports tournaments used to be like this. They were all like like uh, like grassroots tournaments that just had this like um, this community feel to them and were like kind of quirky and weird and just like so fun. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. And... What I loved about it was that it was not perfect. I mean, the green screen graphics were not great. Um, when they're trying to interview the winners, the Discord channel went down. Like, this is what esports was. It was a bunch of people passionate and trying to have fun playing video games and making it into something bigger. And that's what you could see here. I mean, Tyler did it kind of all as a joke. It ended up being real. I mean, he had the $10,000 cash prize. But it was by no means professional. And that's, yeah, kind of what you're saying. This is what it used to be. And I loved kind of seeing the, just kind of go with the flow. He, the Twitch stream went down, I think, for even a couple of minutes. And he just kind of put it back up and kept going with it. Like, that's what esports came from. It came from just going with the flow, having fun, and having it be about the games more than anything else. Yeah, and this tournament reminded me the most, I think, of um, Home Story Cup which is a tournament that uh, used to be around in StarCraft of where it was literally in a dude's apartment or <laughs> rather house in, in Europe and he used to invite a bunch of super, super high-level StarCraft players to hang out for the weekend. He'd be like, okay, come over to my house. 
we'll set up this big stream and we'll have a big tournament in StarCraft and everything. And these were high level players, like towards the end of when he was doing Home Story Cup, he was having like top tier Korean players come out. And it was really interesting to see these NA and European players and Korean players all mixing. And they would do really weird stuff, like they would have like a little barbecue in the background too while everything's going on and they would drink. Um, and it was just so weird and it totally reminded me of this because Tyler just like did this in his own like house. Like yeah. nor- normally whenever he does a stream, he did it exactly like this. And that's why I thought it was so interesting. No, yeah, I mean it feels as if I mean, let's be honest. I think you and me could be on a put on a better quality tournament if we had ten thousand dollars for a cash prize. I mean, this was by no means. He didn't take it very serious. He didn't put a lot of hard work and effort into it. I mean, you can just kind of tell by some of the graphics. But he like really went through with this and just kind of telling uh, the story about that StarCraft tournament. That just sounds it sounds too good to be true. That just sounds like something that I would definitely sit back and watch. And I like I was kind of saying right away. I think there needs to be more tournaments kind of like this they don't have to be serious they don't have to be a part of the NALCS or anything like that but they just need to be more things like this because this is where esports started this is why the scene grew because of the passion from people kind of like this and I don't know I'm just loving it I still love looking at the graphics that I'm looking at right now of Tyler just with the green screen like pretending to talk to the other casters like it's just this kind of stuff is why I fell in love with the esports, and I wish we'd get a little bit back more to these grassroots, and hopefully this is a resurgence for that. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole draw of this is obviously Tyler is like such a big personality, and big personality is putting it way, way too lightly, um, but just because he's like such an entertaining presence in the league community, and because he had really high caliber players, actually, um, I was really surprised to see some of the people playing in this. Um, but because he's like such a big personality and you have all these really good players, you end up having a lot of people watching it because of that. So I think that really goes to show that if you're a big personality in the scene, you might be able to do something like this. Now, not everyone has $10,000 to make a prize pool, obviously. So like maybe there could be a little bit of a mix of self-funding, crowdfunding, and, and smaller sponsors because um, I, I don't know if you know, but no one else sponsored Tyler's tournament except his own website. Yeah. Um, which was really funny to see the small little ads that he threw together for, um, he has this like uh, like protein mix called Blood Rush. Yep. And it's like red. It was so funny to watch that. Yeah. And no, and yeah, I mean, I, that was hilarious. I mean, being the entrepreneur and myself, like I think it's a great idea. I mean, I'm sure he made so much money. I mean, he had, I think he had something like 200,000 or 240,000 people watching at one time. So one of the, I mean, that many people see one of those commercials, there's people that buy it for at least a comic reason, if not a serious reason. So he made money off this. I, I don't doubt that for a second. And not only is, I mean, this is something that he's going to continue to do each and every year, but it really kind of increases his personality size. And yeah. And I love the stream dream team. I mean, I follow I'm a cutie pie and Twitch and stuff like that. When they said that they were competing in the TCS, I thought it was a joke at first. I'm like, he always makes those kind of side jokes. So like, I didn't think anyone was taking this tournament for real. But then I actually saw them playing in the tournament. I'm like, this is a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. So, he, well, for sure, he definitely made his money back because him being super into Twitch I'm sure he was running ads on it when there was 200,000 sure. people. Um, probably a ton of people started subbing to him. 
and I guarantee you there was a bunch of donations too. Oh yeah. So just between all that, he had to have made at least somewhere close. And if he didn't make anywhere close, just him getting his brand out there and expanding, maybe he might not make the money back this month. But if those subs carry over at all, he would definitely make the money back next month. Oh yeah. Um, and just to wrap this up, the 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 funniest thing, like the the cherry on top of it for this whole thing for me was going to ESPN esports and seeing an article about it. And I yeah. just like sat there like, are you like, is this real? Like, are we living in a world where Tyler one puts on a giant tournament and it's on ESPN esports? Yeah, no, I know. I know. That's the article I'm looking at right now. I have it on my second monitor. That's kind of the article I shared with the group first off and, or I think maybe you shared it, but I mean, not only is it crazy that he made it on there from this kind of a joke of a tournament. Well, it's not even a, you can't even consider it a joke now. But first off, it shows that ESPN is starting to take esports more serious because this was such a big top talking point in the esports industry. So I'm really glad that they're starting to take this whole thing a little bit more interesting. Because a couple of years ago, despite how being this big this was, I don't know if they would have covered it. So I love seeing that ESPN is willing to cover this kind of stuff. But also, it shows how big a personality can go when they um, have the kind of the following like Tyler did and that he can get on ESPN for that. So, I mean, it's interesting. It's funny. I think somehow this is going to be good for the esports scene as a whole. So, I mean, it's crazy as it is. I mean, you got to thank Tyler for this because I think this is going to make some changes kind of in the esports industry as a whole. Yeah, and going from this small grassroots tournament over now into the Dota 2 Pro scene, which is a very, very different scene uh, from what we were just talking about. So currently, the big issue in Dota 2 Esports is the types of tournaments they have. So um, there was an article out there that kind of listed a few few of the issues, and we're going to run through them real quick. So it kind of came in twofold. So the first issue um, that we're seeing is that... Um, a lot of the tournaments have a lot of uh, big pros into them, and it's hard for uh, smaller teams to push up into there because Valve came in and set up kind of a, a circuit that leads up to their big, big tournament, TI, which TI is like, it, it, it's up there. It's like a, one of the biggest prize pools in all of esports, and I'm sure just having that big prize pool put esports on the map for a lot of people and with them kind of leading it up there they're pushing tournament organizers to kind of follow their strigit rules and with everyone trying to flex around these rules they're finding it harder and harder to bring out smaller teams and to have more tournaments to give these smaller teams access to be able to push up in their skill level into these big tournaments and it 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 really bothers me actually um, I, I know there's a lot of really big esports teams out there that kind of dominate for a long time, but it just feels bad when you can't see a viable path for a small team to push up into becoming an actual big deal without just joining a big team, right? No, yeah, I definitely agree. And just a couple of points kind of you made from talking there. First off, the prize pool for the 2017 TI was $24 million, with first place taking home million dollars so first off that's a huge prize pool and i definitely agree that kind of that size is what kind of put esports on because no one thought up until this started kind of happening that you can make real money and be a millionaire off of playing video games 
and that really kind of changed it. Um, so before we really go into most of like the problems with it, like I guess going into this, I didn't really know how the Dota scene kind of worked before that. So for anyone that's a league guy like me or anything like that, I just kind of want to quickly explain how the old process is and how they're kind of changing it now. So right now, there are two or three majors each and every year that is all put together by Valve. The top teams kind of make it. It's usually invite only with maybe one or two uh, spots kind of going to the lower teams. And then there's a bunch of uh, minors, which a lot smaller prize pools and stuff kind of like that where a lot of the smaller teams kind of make a name and usually get the invitation toward the bigger tournaments. May not be 100% correct on everything there, but that's kind of the base idea of what it used to be. And now they're changing it. So Valve is giving up control of almost all the tournaments except for TI, and they are bringing in about, what was it, I think, eight different majors now, and then a bunch of different minors. So that um, they're kind of bringing in more of like the CSGO kind of route so that there's a lot of majors, a lot of minors, and then the top teams who have the most points from all of these tournaments would make it into the biggest tournament. Makes sense there. But what you're kind of saying is a problem with the lower teams not having a chance is in all of these tournaments, there are going to be eight or ten team tournaments. And six of those spots are always going to go to invite-only teams that are the best from each of the regions. So now, out of the hundreds of smaller teams, they're competing for only two spots because the tournament sizes are getting smaller because there's more of them. So that's kind of where you're going for a little bit of background knowledge. I didn't know any of this beforehand, so I just wanted to kind of explain that to everyone. So before we go on, they kind of understand the difference and why these problems are starting to arise. But I definitely agree that it's so hard for small teams now. I mean, sure, they have more chances to play in more tournaments, but if they have to fight harder and do better just for the opportunity to play in them, is it really better for these smaller teams or are these big powerhouses teams just going to keep getting in? And the same six are probably going to be in there every single tournament because they're the best six. And then the bottom two teams will just be rotating. And none of those teams will get a chance to make TI now because they won't get to play in enough tournaments to get the points. Yeah, and it really is a shame. Uh, so the way that TI makes all their money um, to have these giant prize pools is through the compendium, which is an in-game uh, microtransaction kind of uh, crowdfunding, uh, I don't know, kind of mini-game, I would say. No, that, yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so they, they run that um, every year. Valve runs it in, in clients, in the Dota 2 client, to raise money. And so you can buy the compendium, and you do a few things for it, and it helps you basically unlock in-game things. So you get unlock skins for different heroes and, and all that. And that basically funds this giant prize pool. And what was really cool when it first started out is that a lot of third-party tournaments were able to do the same exact thing and kind of have their own little compendium uh, for in-game things as well. So they can crowdfund their, their third-party tournaments, which was really good until they stopped doing that. So now if you want to have these third-party tournaments, you have to front everything yourself, which putting on a really big tournament that has... Uh, basically, the ability to make its money back is so hard to do without without that extra bit of help, uh, especially compared to these giant majors that are happening. Because I guess going back to what we were talking about with grassroots tournaments, it is it is kind of hard to do a grassroots tournament that's actually successful. No, yeah, I definitely agree. And I guess, so yeah, so they have to upfront everything, but Valve is willing to uh, split the pot 
So they'll match more or less whatever the tournament is willing to put in. So, I mean, for the prize pool, that makes it a little more attractive for the teams trying to get in because they're going to have a chance to still play for close amount as much money, but the tournament quality will not be as high because, yeah, these, I mean, they can get a couple sponsors here and there, but, like, there's no crowdfunding. There's nothing else they can really do besides just paying out of pocket and praying that they make enough money back. So kind of the higher quality tournaments that we're used to seeing are really going to be a day of past. I mean, it makes sense when you go from three to eight that there's going to be lower quality because there's more of them and stuff kind of like that. But I'm just afraid that the quality is going to drop a lot and that until they kind of figure this out or Valve is more willing to kind of give them more opportunities to bring in money, that this might kind of fall apart. I mean, I see one tournament has already been canceled simply because they did not feel like it'd be financially worth it. And I'm afraid that as these tournaments get closer, they're going to get canceled the same way because they're like, we're going to lose money on this. So why would we continue to do this? So I definitely think something will need to change on that front as well. Yeah, and it's a real shame. So I don't know if you know that much about the Hearthstone Pro scene, um, but they actually have a very, very good way for people to get into the Pro scene. Um, So there's a couple different ways that you can find yourself at BlizzCon for Hearthstone. So you can do all, like, you can get there by earning points. Um, So it's basically whoever has the most points gets into um, the big BlizzCon tournament. And the way you get that is you play ladder and you place highly. So first of all, the barrier to entry is super low to start off because that's just saying, are you a good player who plays every month and places high every month? We'll give you points for that. And then on top of that, there's a bunch of small tournaments that are run um, just by the community. So these are tournaments that could just be run um, sometimes just by universities that could give you points. Or I know you can run tournaments that will help get you to bigger tournaments. So I know my university, uh, Penn State, ran a smaller uh, tavern brawl, a tavern brawl like in or something like that. And they ran it and the person who won actually was able to get an invite to a bigger tournament. And they gave this uh, this this type of tournament out to tons and tons of community uh, community organizers to just run themselves, and so it gave away the ability for smaller smaller players to actually be able to push up into the pro scene and get into that big tournament, which it overall made the scene way 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 better because it felt like yeah you know if I was good enough I could totally get in. Unlike some of these other tournaments in Dota, where even if you're really good, you just sit there and kind of go, uh, I'm good, but like, I'm not as good as the best players, so there's no way I'm going to be able to get in there. Yeah, and I mean, I guess we'll have to kind of see how things start to go. I mean, things can change still. I mean, they're very early in it. I mean, um, this is all still kind of go on right now. So there's ways that they can still change this. I mean... Um, the minors are going to have more teams than the 8 to 10. They'll be having 10 to t- ten to 16, um, somewhere between there. So people still have the opportunity to get in there. Um, but I know what you mean. I mean, I feel like, I mean, being a professional esports player is hard as it is. And already taking away more opportunities for these teams to get in that are lesser known is just going to make it harder and less attractive. I mean, people are always going to want to be professional gamers because they love what they play and stuff kind of like that but less people are going to take it serious if the opportunities aren't there and if valve keeps kind of making this more selective 
and only the top teams getting into everything, that's going to start to kind of put a sour mouth in everyone, and they're going to be sick of kind of seeing the same teams over and over again. So I like the idea that Hearthstone kind of does that, that it is much more attainable. And I think the Overwatch League is starting to put things into play so that there's actual divisions and kind of steps that you take to get moving up. But if you get to that highish stage and can't make that last jump, I just feel like that leave a sour mouth in a lot of people. And I really think they need to kind of address the better way to make sure that everyone, I'm not everyone, but a lot of people who are professional level and as good as these other players get a chance to play in these tournaments. Otherwise, I just think the scene will kind of shrink if they're not able to keep bringing in a constant flow of new personalities and players and teams to kind of keep the scene interesting. Yeah, and this is the one topic I really wish we actually had James in here for uh, because he does work for a smaller esports organization, which I could for sure see them looking at this and going, you know what, I don't think this is really worth it. Let's not pick up a Dota 2 team. I can 100% see smaller teams totally go that route. And so I just want to kind of bounce some ideas off of you. What do you think a good system would look like? Do you think you know, this is a good system? Do you like the Hearthstone system? Or would you like to see maybe a system that looks more like regular sports of where you have, you know, players play in their high school and then from there they go on the college or they go into a farm team and then from the farm team they can go up into a professional leagues? Or what do you think would be the best for esports? Um, yeah, I mean, I remember thinking about this one day. Like, I was just kind of sitting in class not paying attention. I'm like, if I could design, like, the perfect kind of system for esports that I think would make the best sense, how would it be? I mean, that kind of just shows how much I'm kind of thinking about this outside of the podcast. But um, I definitely kind of think a traditional sports route might be the best. I mean, I think a lot of people disagree with it, but there's a reason that it is done consistently. It is a tried and true model and that it's been going on forever and it's still bringing in the newest talent. I think kind of looking at hockey is the best way to do it. So Everyone that's kind of interested plays at the high school level and they go through there. And then from there, some of them go straight to college. Some go to these semi-pro teams. Some even get drafted directly into the professional league based on your level. But otherwise, through that, you just build up through the levels and each one is attainable. So if you're a pretty good hockey player, you can pretty easily make it to a semi-professional team. And then from there, you play for a year or two, get picked up by a college team, And then from there, most college players have a chance of getting drafted at least to a D-League team or like the lower level training teams from there. And then moving their way up the ranks um, until they get called up to professional level. Um, It's a lot of steps, but that's always a good thing because the more people that are involved in kind of the professional scene and feel like they have the opportunity to grow, that's going to be more families, more friends, more personal people, and more people out there watching the sport in general. I mean, if we had five different leagues for esports, but we had 200,000 people watching all of them, that is a lot better than having 300,000 people watching just one level because not as many people feel connected to it. So I think the more levels increases the more opportunities for people to kind of not only get in and play, but also for fans to join on and be related to players, to cities, to coach, um, coaches or anything kind of like that. I feel like the more personal connection level you can make with fans, the better for the sport. So that's kind of why I think that route might be the best. I love these big tournaments. I think where the pro scenes are at are good right now, 
but I think the route that you take to get to these pro scenes should really be kind of leveled off more so that more people have a chance to get involved, which is only going to grow the scene, I believe. Yeah, and that just actually gave me such an amazing vision in my head of like a future of where esports is so popular that you have like a high school team like playing League of Legends and their whole family is there and like they're cheering them on just like you would for like a college or a, a high school football game and you have like a semi-pro team or pickup games and everyone's just kind of involved at different levels and to different degrees so like I don't know it would just be such a cool future to be like an esports dad where I take my my kids off to the League of Legends practice and I come home on Sunday nights and, and watch a league on TV like it's just like a weird thing to kind of kind of think about but like that that could be 10 20 years from now that we could be seeing those kinds of things no yeah and that's that's kind of the point i was getting at there sorry i just found out my dog was being a bad dog while i was away so i was trying to deal with one of my roommates but um yeah that's what i was kind of getting at i mean like my mom knew nothing about basketball before i started watching bas i'm before i started playing basketball and now she enjoys it. I mean, I wouldn't say she's a big fan of it or anything kind of like that. But the more people that could, like, watch their son or daughter playing League of Legends, they're like, oh, this is kind of fun or this is kind of cool. And, like, I could actually watch this and kind of understand what's going on. And then you can keep taking those levels going up and up when the skills get better, when more people are starting to get involved following a community team or something kind of like that. I think that could have no downside for the esports industry. The more people you have playing a game and the more people you have watching those games, I don't see any downside of that. I mean, I, I understand that you want the professionals to be at a certain level, but I don't see why there's any reason to limit the lower levels um, because of that. Yeah, I totally agree. And so I think that uh, that probably wraps up that topic pretty well. Um, maybe one day we'll be able to you know, take our kids down to like the high school and have them practice league of legends or dota or something um or maybe even overwatch because (laughs) there's that big new overwatch league and speaking of the big overwatch league there was actually its first uh penalized player so uh sato who plays for philadelphia fusion actually got suspended for 30 matches in the preseason for boosting accounts this is this is pretty a pretty strong hammer to be swinging on him. I personally I think it's totally justified, but in the in the preseason before he even gets in any games, basically just ousted him from the league completely. Oh yeah, I mean I don't think you could even, you can't even say that he plays plays for the Philadelphia Fusion anymore because they dropped him. I mean, boosting in esports is a pretty big thing considering that. You're picked up and you're playing on this professional team because of your rank and things kind of like that. So obviously you don't want someone on your team that's not at the level that you believe them to. But also, I'm glad that they're kind of laying the hammer. I mean, if he wouldn't have been dropped, he would have been suspended for 30 of the 40 games. I mean, of course, this is one of the most serious offenses that could really happen in esports. But they're laying down the law right away that we're not going to put up with your bullshit. Like, we're holding this league to a certain standard, and you're expected to follow the rules, and there's not going to be any deflate gate scandals and things kind of like that that have been hopping up in the NFL right now. That the rules are the rules, and that we're not going to kind of negotiate with you guys on that. 
So while it is really harsh, I think it's kind of like a benchmark and kind of a trend-setting um, decision that they made. And I think that it'll be good for the Overwatch League. And I think there's other leagues that could really follow from this that really the no-nonsense kind of uh, approach. Because at the professional level, there are probably hundreds of players that deserve to have that player spot. And there's no reason that he should be there over them if he's not following the rules. So I think it gives more people the opportunity to play because they're following the rules and they deserve to be there. But also it's kind of setting the standard that we want this league to be a certain way and that we're not going to negotiate on that. And what I think is really good about this is it also sets the precedent and kind of makes everyone else think about what they're doing and go, oh, you know what, maybe I should be actually super serious about this and maybe we should be looking at the rules again to make sure that we're completely in line. Because, to be honest, I would definitely bet that there's probably a couple other players out there that are probably doing this. Because this is a totally normal thing to be happening in esports. Tons and tons of people do it to make money. Um, I know in League of Legends, though I don't know how many people who are Grandmaster do it. I know people in Masters, people in Diamond, boost accounts all the time for you know a, a quick buck. So... I can totally see people in the Overwatch League boosting accounts to the highest level. Just make some extra money on the side. No, yeah. I, I actually saw an advertisement on Facebook one day for uh, Call of Duty World War II. You could have professional quote-unquote players play games for you for $25 an hour. Like, it is not a... They don't hide it. I mean, I'm not sure they're not actually in the call of duty like official league or anything kind of like that but they do probably play in tournaments and things such as that but people are willing to pay for it obviously and i think in a league kind of like this you don't want that kind of practice happening be kind of the points i was making earlier and like you said this is setting the president that precedent that this is not going to happen and kind of shutting that down right away and stopping other people from doing it like you're a professional athlete now i mean when you join the overwatch league you should be at the same level of Tom Brady and things kind of like that. Obviously, they're not to the viewership or the payment yet or anything like that. But that's kind of the standards that they're setting right now. And I think that that's super important, that that's super good, and that I definitely think that will stop a couple other people that are, are probably currently boosting or maybe even using that website I mentioned about because there's just no room for that, and I don't think you need to. You're getting paid at least $50,000 a year to be playing a video game right now. I mean, I don't mean to sound degrading, but you're living a pretty good life right now on top of Twitch streaming and stuff kind of like that. Just kind of appreciate what you have and don't get greedy and go for more. Yeah, and I mean, this is like a dream job to have. I mean, it is a lot of work and you have to put in some serious hours. You have to live at the team house and it it is a lot, but you are getting paid very well for it. And so I really don't have any sympathy for people getting caught doing this. Now, I could totally see someone who's not a pro player you know, doing this kind of service to make money. But if if you're a pro player and you're making like 50K a year and living at a team house, there is there is no reason why you should be doing this. It just, it, it, it doesn't even make sense. And it's it's honestly pretty stupid on the player's part to be, to be caught doing this. Yeah. And I mean, maybe like they went in the background, maybe he stopped once he joined the team and then they kind of just caught him doing in the past run. And then maybe there's a little bit of sympathy because he was trying to change it. But I agree. Like, if he was still doing it after he got signed to the team, like, you're shit out of luck, dude. Like, I'm sorry, but 
you gotta you can't do that i mean it's as simple as that i guess i don't really have too many points to make on that like you're living your dream you have finally accomplished what you've been putting all these hours in the game to do so why are you risking that so yeah i feel really very little sympathy for the guy like of course it sucks that he's losing on that spot but you kind of deserve it so that's all i got there and do you know going from this to the the league of legends lcs league is there any mention of this happening in the past or has this ever come up before um from pro players that play in lcs have they ever been caught or is this something that just doesn't happen at that level as far as i know i haven't heard of any big scandals i mean maybe some smaller teams and players kind of like that i'm not saying that this has probably never happened um but i'm not saying um any big name players like Sven or anyone like that have ever been caught doing it but i'm sure i mean we know what happens i mean you can go online right now type in boost my league account and you can find someone to do that so it's no secret that people are doing this but i don't think anyone high profile has ever had it happened i mean do you know if anything in like starcraft or anything like this has happened like i know there have been cases in the past that if you look up the top 10 biggest esports scandals there'd be a couple ones relating to boosting i'm sure but i haven't heard of anything in league recently at least actually i haven't heard too much about people being caught boosting other players because at the highest level i just i i don't see that um i've never seen people boosting smaller accounts and selling those accounts uh for extra money i mean like i like we were talking about it does happen 100 for sure but most of the time, I think it happens on the non-professional level. I just, that, that's why I thought this was so weird is because I can't remember the last time a player has been kicked from a, a major team for boosting other people's accounts. Yeah. And I mean, I, so it did happen in South Korea. So maybe the culture over there is a little different and maybe some higher level players might be doing it over there and we're just not aware of kind of the um, culture over there in terms of esports. But no, I definitely agree. Like I was kind of saying, like I was kind of reaching. I'm like, I don't want to say no that it hasn't happened. But yeah, I haven't heard it happen before. So, I mean, it could just be culture. It could just be a one-time kind of thing that this guy was trying to be really greedy and more or less kind of get as much money as he can out of this. I mean, sure, you live kind of a short uh, lifespan as a professional athlete in esports. But I don't know. I still don't think there's any really excuse for this kind of happening and... Yeah, it's definitely out of the norms. I'll, I'll agree with that. Yeah, and actually, I didn't know it, it came from from South Korea. And South Korea is actually really interesting in terms of esports and things kind of going on, because I know there are a lot of a lot more shady stuff that happens over there, just because the scene is so much bigger and deeper and richer in South Korea, that you're able to have these these crazy things kind of happen. So all the really big match-fixing scandals first started happening over there because, you know, America didn't have, like, a gambling system in the early days for esports, but South Korea did. And so I can totally see if there's, like, you know, these big PC bongs, like, he probably came up in one of them playing in the PC bong and, you know, started selling accounts there or whatever. And I could I could totally see that, and that's a totally rational and, you know, thing that probably happens just, like, um just just to bring it up again like uh in, in my university like during club meetings 
we had someone in there who was like, oh yeah, like if anyone wants their account boosted, um, I just do it for a couple bucks, especially if you're here, just like give me like a 10 or 20 and I'll, I'll hit you up a couple levels. Like that's, that's like a totally normal conversation for anyone who's in a, a larger meeting of other players, especially in person of where there's like no, no, no real way to advertise online and you just advertise in person. How are you ever going to get caught from that? Yeah. I mean, I guess people can be looking at IP addresses, but I know, I know for sure if Riot was looking at IP addresses and they saw both of them coming from the same region, let alone the same city, they'd be like, ah, no big deal. Like they, yeah. they wouldn't even think twice about it. Oh yeah, there's so many players for these games that like, of, there's gonna be people playing on the same IP with different accounts. Like that's not gonna be uncommon. I mean, um, I mean I've had my roommates playing on my new computer and stuff before, and I mean if they flagged based on the same IP and stuff like that, my accounts would be banned. Like it's hard for them to do that. And yeah, I yeah I think South Korea really does have that different culture. And like you're saying, it happens in the U.S. and these bigger group kind of situations and yeah i mean there's a lot more gaming cafes and stuff like that over in south korea and it's more shady i mean i guess we haven't really talked about it but i keep seeing it kind of come up the news i don't know what to really bring up about it but like the chairman of the kespa or something like the korean esports association is like being arrested yeah kespa yeah kespa that's it so like things are kind of happening over there under the table that really shouldn't be so it makes a little bit more sense because the culture is over there. But, I mean, he was over in the... He was coming to the U.S. to play for the Fusion. So, like, little different rules over here. And that's a little more frowned upon, clearly, because Blizzard's laying down the hammer right away. But, yeah. And just thinking about it, like, I don't want to I don't want to tease it too much, but that would be such a, such a good episode to have for this podcast to talk about, like, the seedy dark side of esports and talk about, like these like tiny gaming houses where people can like only ramen or you know like small gaming houses in like arizona of where they like make everyone eat chef bore id and like end up not paying them um because there is actually a lot of really weird and like kind of dark things that happen um in esports especially on these kind of lower levels that don't always get out there and aren't always super public and especially in the early days of esports where there was zero regulation, not that many people watching. If you wanted to be a pro in esports, that was a, you know, something so far off that if someone was like, oh yeah, come and live into this tiny one bedroom apartment with like five other people, that's something that you would totally do. And you would basically be at the mercy of whoever the, the team owner was. And that would be kind of something interesting for us to talk about. Maybe we can do a bunch of research and kind of compile that for one one you know kind of themed episode or something that would be really cool and i mean i'm sure we could find someone that's even been a part of that even i mean like you said it usually happens at these smaller teams a lot of these pretty good players that aren't quite pro that want to try to make it there they're willing to do just about anything and i think we could it'd be really cool to kind of talk to someone that's gone through some of these experiences even even maybe not it's a super severe one of five guys in one apartment but someone that's really gone through this kind of shady stuff um, or let's be honest, some kind of news article will pop up one of these days kind of talking about this. I'm sure someone's writing an article kind of doing research on this as we speak. So I definitely think it'd be interesting to talk about. And I'm sure there are plenty of examples or plenty of testimonies out there that we could talk about and get 
um, from people to kind of talk about this because especially in like South Korea and just kind of China, some where the esports is a much, much bigger deal. I couldn't even imagine some of the uh, stuff that happens over there just because they treat it as big, if not bigger, than some of our traditional sports over here. So clearly there's going to be the dark side of all this. So I think that would be a really cool topic. And it'd be really cool to kind of look into all that because I guess I don't know too much besides what kind of runs across mainstream, but it's out there. Yeah, and I guess that's what's so interesting about running kind of like a podcast like that is I know all the time all three of us are always just like having these random ideas pop in our head and we're always talking to be like, oh, this would be really cool if we did this and we did this. And it's it, it's just great that we can kind of take that in, in so many different directions. No, yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, that's... I mean, that's kind of what we're trying to grow here. I mean, we are trying to more or less grow the same way esports has. I mean, we are trying to create this content for you guys, the listeners. We want to do things that we think you find interesting, talk about topics that um, our listeners find interesting, and like we're talking about throwing on a YouTube so that people can listen to it there. I mean, we really want to make this as interesting, as accessible, and as relatable as possible for everyone, and I think that's kind of the benefit of the smaller kind of podcast these smaller blogs and things kind of like that because you get a different approach and you get different topics and that's something that the mainstream media may not cover or cover super in depth that you guys are interested in i mean that's why i always would love for you guys any of you listeners out there to share with your friends with your family with anyone that you might be thinking would be semi-interested in this because we try to cater to all audiences rather than esports we just kind of relate to regular sports and kind of experiences that we've had we just really want to be accessible i mean i think all of us are willing to talk about anything through social media we're trying to change topics if any of you guys ever want us to talk about something specific we'd be willing to do it i mean we fell in love with esports for a reason the same reason you guys probably did and we're just trying to put it into a way that helps appreciate it in a way that we find it interesting and hopefully you guys find it interesting. At least I hope that's what you kind of want from this, Dylan. Absolutely. And I think that is a very good note to end this episode on. Uh, so I'll go ahead and wrap up first, and then I'll kick it over to you to give us our, our big final wrap-up. So thank you, everyone, for listening uh, to the Project Esports podcast. My name is Dylan, a.k.a. Beal for Real. You can find me on Twitter at, at Beal for Real. That's the number four. Uh, feel free to follow me and send me DMs. I have open DMs, so you can just send me a message anytime or share any esports article with me. I always like talking about esports and video games, so feel free to reach out to me anytime. No, yeah, I definitely will agree with all that that he kind of said there at the end. I mean, I guess I wouldn't say this is the big ending or anything kind of like that. But, yeah, um, as always, same with Dylan. Just send me anything on any platform. I mean, I stream on Twitch every once in a while. I'm on Twitter, both of those at NIMS41, nimz four one always willing to talk about anything video game related esports related even traditional sports related i'm really open and just love having these kind of conversations but yeah as always i want to thank you all so much for downloading for listening and please share with your friends and family i mean we're trying to create things that try to reach as many people as possible and by you guys sharing and telling your friends about it helps us so much and means so much to each and every one of us rather it just be sending us a like on facebook on twitter um, just telling your friend about it, leaving a review, anything like that helps us a lot. And we're doing this all for fun and all for you guys. So the more you can help us out, the more we try to give back to you. And we would love to do as much as we can for you guys. So that's all I have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the Project Esports podcast. And until next week, 
See you then.